Welcome to another episode of Winging in Motown Radio. I mean, for sure. I mean, man, the last couple of times I've just been I've been hosting both of them, and it's I have this nightmare that I'm going to say the wrong one. And today it actually has come true. Not the nightmare part, but just the mashup part. Uh, so we are coming to you today. It's me, Peter. We got Jay with us. What's up, Jay? Hi. And then we also have JJ. How you doing, JJ? Hi. Hello. Hi. Greatest day ever. <laughs> oh, that's good. Uh, he stole it. Um, so, yeah, so so we are doing kind of a, a Wim Radio for sure mashup uh, today. Um, and the occasion of it is that we have uh, we have an interview with Ken Daniels. We just got off the phone with him. Uh, he was fantastic to talk to. And we talk about it in the interview, but, uh, you know, he, he just released a book, and I read it. I'm going to be doing a, a book review on, on uh, Winging in Motown next week, and it's definitely worth reading. And so, like I said, we just got off the uh, the phone with Ken, and we talked about the Red Wings. We talked about his career. Uh, we talked about a lot of the stories that are in his book, and it's a good teaser. So if you like the stories he's telling, you should definitely go out and buy the book. Um, so without further ado, here is our interview with Ken Daniels. Joining us today is Ken Daniels, uh, who likely doesn't need an introduction to our listeners. He's a Red Wings television play-by-play announcer and has been since 1997. He has a new book out called If These Walls Could Talk, Stories from the Detroit Red Wings, Ice, Locker Room, and Press Box. Ken, thank you very much for taking some time to talk to us today. My pleasure. Glad to be with you. <laughs> so in the book, you dedicate an entire chapter to your professional uh, relationship with Mickey Redmond. And, you know, it's really clear to people watching that the two of you really like working together. So what is it specifically about Mickey that makes you have such good chemistry with him? Uh, well, we're, we're great friends now, so that certainly helps. As you know, sometimes you, you know, you can just go away from somebody, come back, and it's like you never left. So, uh, you know, and, and in the beginning, uh, as we talk about and Mickey spoke of in the forward, we re- really have never had any issues, but there was an adjustment period. You know, I, I came from Hockey Night in Canada, where if you listen to Bob Cole, it's still, you know, 90% Bob play-by-play during play, if not 110% the other guy. And when I was at Hockey Night, it was maybe 70-30, and you come here and it's 50-50. It's sort of mm. split. So, you know, I had to adjust to him, and he adjusted to me, and I think you, you find your way, and then there's a cadence between the two, and you, you just spell off one another, and, and then a friendship begins, and then your wives become friends, and, and they hang together. So I think just overall, it's it's just very easy, and we've just gotten to know each other so well over 21 years. You know, he went through two cancers and uh, celiac disease. He went through it with the, the death of my son and even, you know, was with me when I went through a divorce. And, you know, um, so it just becomes it just becomes natural, I guess. And hopefully that comes out over the air and we just have fun together. Yeah, yeah I remember in the oh, I'm sorry, in, in the book, uh, you, you talked about how uh, how basically the two of you learned you know, uh, how to handle fights, you know, because, uh, you know, for, for our listeners, hopefully, obviously, you'll go out and, and read the book. Um, but one of the things is, you know, I remember that, that I thought was really funny where, um, you know, Rick, uh, Mickey kind of got a sad face uh, when, when it seemed like he wasn't going to be able to call the fights. And, uh, you know, it certainly seems like something that he, that, you know, both of you enjoy doing. 
Yeah, for somebody who hasn't been in uh, many when he played, he sure loves them, doesn't he? But if you look at the, uh, I was looking, it was it was funny too because Bob Duff sent me the brawl, and I think it's on maybe on hockey fights. And if you go back and you look at the footage, man, oh man, 1970, Mickey got tripped, and then the brawl ensues, Montreal and Boston. I mean, it opened my eyes. I watched it just the other night and went, hockey really was ridiculous back then, but I loved it. It was hilarious. And you go back and you see the beatings and Wayne Cashman coming in with a left. I mean, it just goes on and on. It's crazy. But if you if you find it on YouTube, it's spectacular to watch. And, and the fact that Mickey unwittingly incited the whole thing. Uh, he was wearing number 24 for Montreal. It was just a little bit before he got traded to the Red Wings. But when I first came and and Mickey looked at me and he said, you like calling fights? And I thought, that's really a, a strange question. I'd never really thought about it before. And, and I, I really got the gist of why he asked that he just enjoyed that part of the game. And for him, it's uh, too bad it's leaving the game, but I'm one that if it's uh, if it's a necessary fight, uh, that's okay. But as I talk about in the book, if uh, you know there's a clean hit on the ice, why should there necessarily be retribution? If the referees deemed it to be a legal hit, and after the fact that they didn't, and the league wants to look at it, and someone wants to be suspended for it, let them have it. I mean, that's what the league is there for to review things. But why why when somebody makes a clean body check does somebody have to come in and you got to fight for it? I, I, I don't get that. I know the big players need protection, the McDavid's of the world and Crosby's. I get that. And that's why Reeves is there. And, but, but overall, just the stupidity of just retribution fights, I, I, I don't get. But if it happens spontaneously within the game, I still enjoy it. So, Ken, you know, being uh, a part of the, the, the hockey community and, and, like, seeing how the game has evolved and stuff, now, like, in, in, with recent events, like the, the whole Calgary stuff, um, like when you see players get get criticized and 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 you know I, I won't say scolded but you know like as as you being the main game caller you know like when like do you kind of form a little bit of a you know like a surrogate father role to these guys you know because like you call them a bunch and and you, and you you kind of grow with them as as the seasons go on and so like when you see guys actually in those fights like are you like are you like like get them <laughs> or do you like kind of keep reserve like no no it's it's, it's, it's follow the rules, son. No, I, no, I, I don't. I mean, there's so few and far between. You like to see Mantha get well, uh, do well. I, I think the main thing is that it happens, you know, last season with Luke Witkowski. And then after the game, and uh, I'm in Tampa, and I'm talking to Mantha out by the bus. And he shows me his finger, and you go, holy, like this was late in the year, so it wasn't really a big deal. The Red Wings were long out of it by then, so it didn't really matter. But during the season, then you think, well, was that worth it? You know, it depends what happened out there to, to make it all happen. But during the fight, I'm, I'm not saying, oh, beat the crap out of him in my head or anything. You want him to win, but I think you're just yeah. calling it. And besides, as I said, I usually step out and I just watch. So I guess in my <laughs> head, I'm hoping that nothing bad happens or it's an injury. But Mickey just calls it, and I just sort of have to sit back and enjoy it, I guess. So you're always rooting, and you're the home broadcaster. And I know you guys may want to get into the homerism thing and everything else, but we are the home team broadcaster, and that's all right. So, of course, you root for the home team. I don't think anybody would expect any differently. No, I mean, I think, you know, um, I mean, I, I think I kind of knew this already, but it was interesting in the book, you know, see, you know, getting some of the, you know, behind-the-scenes stories, um, you know, on the planes and the bus rides and things like that. You know, I mean, it, it makes sense. You know, you spend a lot of time around, you know, these people. And, yeah, I mean, of course you're going to have – uh, of course, you're going to have, you know, a, a, you know, you know, some level of bond with them. Um, and, you know, like, like I think you, uh, you said in the book that, 
you know, if you're doing a like a national game and the Red Wings are involved, you can't be, you know, ten times louder for the Red Wings. But, you know, I mean, at the same time, it seems, you know, it seems logical that you're, you know, you're going to, you know, be happy when the team that, you know, you, you spend all your time with does well. I think that makes sense. Oh, for sure. I, I, you know, I've done NBC games involving Detroit and Washington, the NBC game when the, the Red Wings were on that run on that, uh, I guess it was a Sunday afternoon, and they beat San Jose to extend, extend the 23-game home streak uh, run. So, um, yes, you, you know going into a game that you have to dummy it down a little bit. And I talked to the guys, you know, NBC will use uh, the guys who are um, national, are regionally based out of Comcast, which is owned by NBC Universal, so Comcast, same company. So they may use the guys from Philadelphia on a national game, just use their broadcaster. They'll use Randy Hahn out of San Jose as their broadcaster because he works for the same company. So I don't know whether it comes down to dollars or how they do it, but I think when those guys go into a broadcast, I'm sure they have in the back of their minds, yes, I work for the Flyers, but we're on national TV. I'm cognizant of that. So there's still a goal call that needs to be made one way or the other, and you got to bring it pretty much to the same level. That's what I think when I do an NBC game as well. That's what I did when I was doing Hockey Night in Canada, even it out. Uh, some people may say I get too excited when an opposition scores against the Red Wings. I think if you had a, uh, a meter on it, you're going to find that my if it's out of 10, uh, my Red Wing level for a goal, if it's not the last minute of the game or just mid-game, might be an 8 or a 9, and you'll find that the visiting call might be a 6. It's not going to equal what the Red Wing call is when it's a regional game. It just won't. But I'm not going to do the game an injustice. And as uh, when people ask me this question, I do remember it was maybe, I don't know, six, seven years ago, and I'm at home watching a game, and it was an afternoon game, and I had the regional feed, and Colorado was playing. I can't remember whom they were playing, but Colorado was playing, and I went to the fridge, as I want to do during games, and I, the game was going on in the background, and I walked into the kitchen, and I came back, and I said, hmm, when did they tie the game against Colorado at two? And I rewound it, and honest to God, I'm kidding you not, the goal call was scores. You couldn't even hear it. And I rewound it again, and I went, are you kidding me? So honestly, to me, that's doing an injustice to the game. So I'm just not going to do that. I won't do that. It's, it's, it's a goal call. And if it's the last minute of the game in the midst of someone maybe tying the score against Detroit in the final moments, can I be peeved about that? Sure. Um, but I'm certainly not going to not talk about it and in a way that, hey, it's the game. So a goal call is a goal call. It's an exciting part of the game. People who's ever watching, and you can watch maybe our feed anywhere and not necessarily – be a fan of the Red Wings, but the game goes everywhere now. Everyone's watching. I'm just not going to do an injustice of the game. A goal is a goal, and that's the way the game should be called. And if I'm regionally for the Red Wings, I'm trying to get more excited than I would for the visitor sport. Yeah, so I, I know that in a lot of uh, you know, hockey fans love to argue about the, the concept of, of homer announcers, and especially on the, the national feeds. Like if we know that a, an announcer is, is from a regional, then we are already kind of expecting that. And I, I know that uh, you, I think you do a good job of of doing that. And my personal thought is is I love I love watching the the regional homer feeds over uh, the national feeds because uh, it, not so much the the Colorado incident you talked about where he's just kind of like oh he scores. 
that's that's not good regardless for the exact reason you you explained. But um, your your personal opinion on on being a little bit more homerish if if you're watching a game as well. Uh, what's where do you think uh, is is the right level in terms of having either a homer announcer or just trying to keep entirely on the level? I think you can go over on the uh, homerism thing of uh, way, but you know, like even Mickey, if you know, if there's a call that goes against Detroit, I say, boy, they, they wouldn't like that one if you're on the other side of things. So he'll say it both ways. I mean, he'll criticize referees, and we get the gist of what he's talking about. I don't like the overboard homerism. If our guys aren't going well, I'll say it. Even the other night, we talked about Tatar and Glenn Denning, who scored his fifth, and Tatar got his fifth. And I said at this stage of the year, if you would have bet somebody at the start of the season, that 20 games in, Luke Glenn Denning would have four goals, same as Tomas Tatar. <laughs> the Red Wings need him to score. So if you're true homerism, you may not be saying that. I mean, am I calling out Tatar? Not really. He's been okay. He scored some big goals. He's competing. He's got a big contract now, but you need to tire to score 25 or 30. And last year when he got the majority of his goals were after the fact when the Red Wings were out of it. I've said that too. But how, how badly do you need to, you know, uh, trash a guy anyway? I don't think that's our job. And I guess I, I talk about that in the book too, where some people will say, oh, he's, he's just being a, a, you know, a homer for the Red Wings. Well, Anyone you work for, I work for the Red Wings. And if you don't like that end of it, then go listen to the other broadcast and see what they're saying. I don't think they're going to trash Detroit either. But if you work for a company, you want to, I want to see you go into your boss the next day and go, you suck. <laughs> work for a company and go into your boss and go, you're doing a really crappy job. So if you think I'm going to criticize on the air Ken Holland or his deals, you got another thing coming. And I want to see anyone who works somewhere go into their boss and go, that was a really crappy thing you did. Boy, that was lousy. That, that, that deal you made for our company, that wasn't good. Still on your employed for. It just doesn't happen. Right. It's not real yeah. life. It doesn't work that way. But there's also, it doesn't necessarily come up. That's not where the conversation goes. Not necessarily within a game broadcast. That's not what we're paid to do. We're paid to call the game, and sure, sometimes Mickey and I go off on a tangent, and you're not necessarily always <laughs> calling the game puck to puck. But still, that, that's not your job. You're not in a forum to critique what's going on in the team. If the team's not playing well, they'll say it. Mickey, Mickey will say if the team's not going well or it's a horrible game. That game against Vancouver, if you watched him post-game, he was in a rant. So oh, yeah. that happens, and he'll, he'll say it. So it, I, I don't think we go overboard. People know what they're, they're getting with us. But um, I, I, I think we do it all right. So, Ken, uh, just to touch back on something, I, I want you to know your style is very in, in, very infectious, and, um, I, and I don't know if you knew this, but I, I'm, I'm glad to maybe be the person to tell you. It's so infectious that uh, our mutual friend Blair McGowan has exactly the same kind of meter when he's in our studio. So when we score, it's very much like yours, and then when the other team scores, it's literally the – Scores. <laughs> so it's, see that would be Colorado type. See that would be Colorado. Type. Yeah. <laughs> so um, in, in terms of now, we've been talking about how uh, how much time you spend around these uh, these players and, and around Mick, but obviously we're all human. We all have our our, our need to, to kind of breathe a little bit. So during a season, you know, do you think you have enough time to like you know hey? take a breather here and there, or is it kind of you have to make your own way? 
you've got enough time, you're, you're talking within the schedule or downtime at home or just on the road with the guys? Oh, well, I mean, just, you know, being a game caller, being around the game versus, you know, like, yeah, like downtime with, with family or just, you know, time off. Like, do you think you have, you know, because I would assume that it's it's taxing. I mean, you're calling, what, like 70 games a year and stuff. You know, I, granted, there is, you know, there's obviously different parts of relativity, but, you know, you're you're around hockey a lot. And, and I guess the better question is, do you get sick of it or do you just embrace it as it comes and downtime happens when it happens? I embrace every day. I get to call again, you know, as Badger Bob said, it's a great day for hockey. It sure is. And I get up in the morning and I first thing, well, I always think about my son first, but then after that, it's uh, boy, I got a hockey game to call tonight. This is fun. So, you know, my first few years here, I did uh, upwards of a hundred games, if not a little bit more than that, including college. And then through the years, Fox Sports Detroit has lessened in the college coverage, still do the GLI, you still do the Michigan, Michigan state games, but yet, Normally, when those are happening, obviously, if they're in the building, we're probably on the road. So I uh, last year was the first year I did no college games, and that was a little upsetting for me because uh, I enjoy doing them. You get to know the players, going back to, to Mike Camilleri and Mike Thomaseric and through the years and, and players who go on to the National Hockey League, and you walk into the room and they know you. So for me, doing college games was a, a, a great way for the players to get to know you as they're up and coming, like Dylan from Michigan, Zach Hyman when he was at Michigan. You go to Toronto, you know the guys. It really helped quite a bit. So I do miss that, that I'm not doing them anymore. That became a bit of a grind sometimes. You might, you know, and especially with the GLI when you're calling four in two days, and you may have come off uh, three games and four nights uh, with the Red Wings, and you're right back in it. Now you're calling seven or eight in a very short period of time. You just hope your voice holds out, and uh, thankfully it has. So I've never had any issues with that. But I would call I would call hockey every day. I love it when I'm at home. I'm recording games. Uh, you can always go back and watch them now in the NHL Game Center anyway. But I do try to record games uh, when I'm going to see a team coming up. So on an off night, I'll spend some time. I'll watch TV with my wife. Uh, my daughter's away at Michigan State at school. We got a new new puppy, a beautiful golden doodle who's seven months old, and his name is Jack. Aww. So I think Jack Daniels is the perfect name. So <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Absolutely. So, you know, I, I am very careful, though, when he's up on the couch, I make sure to say Jack down rather than Jack off, but that's another story. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I, I have that time with my family, you do, and, and sometimes you would like more of it. I try to go to Michigan State and drive out there to see my daughter when possible, and, you know, and she's taking the dog for three or four days now up to school. So it's, um, I get the time, and you know what? I'm off all summer, and uh, now during the summer, hopefully uh, I can use, um, not just because of the book, but because of what happened with Jamie, uh, that I can use it to speak and go on speaking engagements. My son always used to say to me, you need a summer job. Well, now, besides golf, that I can't seem to get below a 16 or 17 handicap, it's not going to get much better than that. So I, uh, I can find some time to do something uh, more worthwhile than that. So um, I do find the time, but hockey never drains me. We travel first class on Redbird. It's not really a big deal. Uh, you park right at the gate, and you go, and you're served really good food. You're hanging with good people. Uh, we've got a good crew to hang with on the road, whether it be Mickey or Trevor or whatever we do. So it's, it's a good way to live, and I, I'm thankful every day I get to do what I do. Yeah, um, so I, I know, you know, from what you said before about, you know, now the, the new job you have over the summer, I just wanted to pass along that, you know, our our readers at, at Winging in Motown and our listeners, um, you know, obviously they're, they, you know, they were sad, you know, sad with you last year, and but they're also, 
they're also glad that you're you're using this opportunity to to spread a, you know a really valuable message. So I just wanted to pass that on. Um, and speaking of our listeners, we had uh, when we you know we told everybody we were going to be talking to you, and so we asked for some questions for them. And so this is a really good one from uh, one of our listeners, uh, Puck and Bourbon uh, is his Twitter handle. And so hockey players are superstitious. What's one thing you never enter the broadcast booth without? And do you have rituals? I never enter without preparation. That's the one thing. And I over prepare for mm. games. And if you've got a, a, a really good game, you won't use it. And maybe you'll play the team again and use it next time uh, because it's in my book and I can go back and refer and I scratch out what I use and what I don't use. So uh, to me, I never go in without preparation. Other than that, no, nothing that I go in with or, the, you know, the ritual is game day. I'll, you know, if I go to morning skate, I don't on the road. I tend them all at home. Uh, maybe 50% of them, depending if we've seen the team before. I can also call coaches during the day. I'll talk to broadcasters, their broadcasters during the day. You actually, for me, I find I get more, just like they will from me, from the visiting broadcaster coming to town where, as we speak of, things that maybe because they are the home team broadcaster, they can't say about the team on the air, but they'll feed me information just like I will to them on who's going well or who isn't and maybe as to why. Not, not with injuries. We don't reveal those things. We just don't. Um, but sure. I'll talk to them. So, you know, for me, uh, on a game day, that's what I'm doing. I'm making a lot of phone calls. You're reading the Internet. Uh, you're going through the game notes that are available online. You'll listen to the, uh, the post-practice um, conversations that take place because they're all posted. So we talk with our producer during the day. So really, that's my ritual, and probably I'll prepare for a game if I haven't watched one the night before from when they played within a few days. Um, and not our team, but the other team. I'll probably spend four to five hours during the day, and then I, you know, like to get down to the rink a couple hours before the game. So it's just preparation is the only thing I bring to every game. And to be honest, Ken, like, I, and I've I've seen you in the booth a couple times, and, and I gotta say. Your your book, like, and for all those listeners out there, when when Kenny says preparation, like it is preparation. Like, I don't know if if we have any Parks and Rec fans out there, but like Leslie Nope is 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 famous for making these binders that have everything laid out to the T. And Kenny is no different. His book, like anything I could have possibly wanted to know, but then I didn't even think I needed to know about the players du jour. I the, again, if there is a book that is more important or a piece of or a piece of preparation that's more important than maybe say the Declaration of Independence. It's Kenny's game day book. It's amazing. So, so props oh, well, to you on that. You. Thank <laughs> you. Yeah, thank you. And you know, I, again, I hope that I don't have to use most of it. You know, I used to be a lot more into stats than I am now. If a guy's not in a streak, he is. Or you know, to me, like Evander Kane, you know, and the role that he was on, and to talk about it last night, or what Eichel has or hasn't done. I mean, you know, fans who are maybe casual fans of the Red Wings, they don't necessarily know. If uh, the type of season that Evander Kane's having, they may be heard of Evander Kane, but if they're not huge hockey fans, they need to know that. I also don't, as much as I think there's a, a place for analytics in the game, I don't pour over analytics because when I do speaking engagements, even about the book, and I'll have people put up their hands, you know, how many in this room understand analytics? And I did one the other night uh, out in Dearborn, and we were talking, and if there were 60 people in the room, uh, two put up their hands. So it's a good indication for our audience. I don't think they want to delve deeply into that. So I'm not going there. I'm just going with the guy's been hot. I may know why or the guy's not been hot or what his expectations are or should be. And to me, that's that's enough to give out. But 
certainly if I, I don't need a lot of stuff during the game and the game's going great and there's a lot of goals in the game, it's wonderful. And just let the game take over and uh, we go where it takes us or where the producer wants us to go with it. But, yeah, thank you for that. And, uh, you know, the prep the prep part for me is fun. That, that's a great part of the day. I enjoy it. I And if some stories I'll get that's behind the scenes about a player that I like and I go, isn't that cool? I'm hoping the, the viewer will, will find it neat. If they don't, what can I do? As long as I'm happy with it, I'm good with it. Yeah. Um, so uh, the other night, uh, Dylan Larkin was mic'd up for a game, you know, speaking of preparation. Yeah, that was cool. Uh, I, 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 ima- that was cool. I imagine it probably takes a lot of preparation on the, the sides of, you know, the technical side to, you know, to, to make that work without influencing the play of the player, I guess. Um, I thought it really showed, like, how much he's growing as a leader. You know, obviously he had the sensational rookie season. You know, last year it seemed like the league had kind of, you know, caught up to him and he was having trouble adapting, you know, which which does happen a lot to players in their second year, uh, especially players that have, you know, really breakout first seasons. So, like I said, in the in the mic up section, you could see, you know, he was, you know, not only really trying to, you know, play well, but he's also trying to, you know, be a vocal member of the team, you know, be a leader, kind of grow into that leadership role. So what changes have you seen in his game, both on and off the ice since last season? Well, I think, you know, I don't, on the road, I don't spend time with him away from the rink. But from what I hear is, you know, he's a lot more mature. And I'm sure the, the Red Wings had discussions with him and all players that they're going to be the leaders of this team, whether it be him or Mantha. And obviously, Athens, who wasn't around in the beginning, but these are the guys who have to take over. And no one would be happier about that than Henrik Zetterberg. And I think I, I could see in the post-game comments from Henrik just the way he was speaking. We talked about this on the air, and we ran Henrik, Henrik's clip uh, during the Buffalo game that he almost looked like a proud father just talking uh-huh. about Dylan Luck and his, uh, as we say in the hockey vernacular, that 200-foot game or just the maturity of it. Uh, you know, he learned the game, but how much more he's learned. And although he played center for Red at Michigan, he didn't play a lot of it the first two years, and he had to learn face-offs. And now there's a face-off adjustment. And if you see it, I believe, where, you know, Nielsen is getting better at it. But he just really struggled, Franz Nielsen, with the, uh, with the new rules, just the way they are. And I spoke to him about it. It's, it's an adjustment getting the stick down. Henrik hated it. He kept getting booted out of the face-off hot in the preseason. He backed off <laughs> yeah. a little bit. Younger guys like Larkin, maybe it's just the, the kids today uh, seem to adapt things. You know, you can't teach an old dog new tricks. Maybe some of them you just can't. And, and Dylan's learning, but he's working at the craft. And the first year maybe caught some people by surprise. The second year, all of a sudden, the, the other teams say, hey, this Dylan Larkin, look, and, and here's what he does. He go yeah. wide all the time. Now this third year, yeah. you've got to stop up inside the blue line. You've got to make some plays. So you see a lot of different things happening to his game. And being mic'd up and hearing him and knowing you could just sense, again, the leadership. I mean, he knew the mic was on him. Anthony Mantha, just to hear him speak from a year ago, different, more confident whether it's being in fights, handling himself, whatever, you can see it. And and the mic, to your point, as great a segment as it was, and our technical crew with Fox Sports Detroit and put all that together, even the mic, you know, we get calls during the day, make sure the mic's in Paul Boyer's hands at 4 o'clock in the afternoon. He needs it. And then putting it on <laughs> Dylan. Years past, you know, that mic doesn't always stay on players that we had it. It would fall off during the game. I do remember years ago, and now that you mentioned that, I probably should have added this into the book, but I didn't. There is a section there uh, with Sean Avery, in the book, and uh, he was going to wear a mic for us one night, uh, obviously back in the early 2000s, and Steve Eisenman nixed it. He came in and said, Sean's not wearing the mic. 
So the captain said, that's not happening. Now, in hindsight, hearing Sean years later, I know why Steve did it. And uh, probably very <laughs> funny. Have just been, that, that would have taken our technical crew to a whole new plateau with the bleeps that they would have had to put in there. But uh, Sean, was, uh, Sean was quite the case. There was also the time. And, you know, it's funny now. And you know what? how Stevie was a leader? And after, you know, Sean was still playing and Stevie was injured, and I had mentioned because through talking with Barry Smith and Dave Lewis, I remember Sean Avery was a pretty good skater and pretty quick. And I can't remember some other guys they referred to at the time. But I said, you know, how quick is Sean? And both Barry and Dave said, well, one of the, the quickest on our team for sure, and I'd probably put him in the top ten in the league. So I referenced that to some point not necessarily quoting them, but just throwing it out there, what a good skater he is. And yeah. after one of the games, we're doing the post game and the curtain opened up to our old, very small booth, as uh, Jay knows at, at, uh, at Joe Lewis. And Stevie opened up the curtain post game before I went on. He says, Kenny, he goes, forget one of the fastest in the league. Sean's not even in the top five on our team. And he walked away. <laughs> and, I, and, I know, and I knew right away, and Mickey looked at me, and I knew exactly why he was saying it. He didn't want Sean's tires pumped so that Sean's head got any more massively big than it already was. At least he could fit a helmet on, yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's what a captain does, and that's why Stevie said it, and I got the message. So when you deal, he didn't, Stevie didn't have to come in and say, what the hell did you say? You know, he just had his own way of saying it, and I got it, and I understood why, and seeing Sean years later, I knew exactly why. So, uh, so we we're kind of a lark here. Now, the other player I wanted to, to talk about, and and again, I'm really excited that we can continue to talk about it because at one point, uh, our our own Jimmy Devolano said uh, they were so disappointed in him, and we put so much work. But like, hey, Anthony Mantha is is here, and he is improving. So, you know, from from your perspective, Kenny, you know, like, how, how do you how do you see his development, and and does he? Does he remind you of anybody, like, in, in your years of calling the game? Because um, I, 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 he's kind of an, an aggregation of a bunch of different players, but I wanted to know if you think he's, like, resembling of any player specifically, you think? And, and also, you know, if you want to talk about just, hey, like, this is, again, this is a kid that was almost written off, but here he is. He's now, like, one of the pillars to, to get this team back on track. Yeah, and maybe Jimmy D was just firing him up years ago. Honestly, yeah. <laughs> I'm throw in a backhanded sort of compliment or, or no compliment or a backhanded way. I'm not sure. However, um, yeah, I always, you know, I joke that he should be called the Big M. And, you know, not not so much like Frank Mahovlich, although Frank sometimes, you know, that, that long stride he had and it looked like he was being lazy, but, he, you know, and just the way that he skated. And I maybe thought that was Anthony. And then I thought about it more, and it was more like Peter Mahovlich for me that the way he skated and Peter would drive the goal a little bit more and more a big body presence in front that Frank's younger brother had more than it was Frank. So I don't know whether he's little M or big M, but I don't know if you can call him little M when he's on his own at the six, five or how big he is, but <laughs> he's uh, realizing now that what he did in junior and how he could score goals and the shots that he's taken, um, keep, keep shooting and he's just getting confidence and where, you know, and I think when he gets in a fight like he did and has had a few of them now, the guys know don't mess with him, mess with him. 
and drive to the net. Mm. He's going to use his body. And if you're, they don't hack and whack like they used to, thankfully they're calling the slashing now, but I think he's going to get himself a little bit more room out there too. And will use his size to even more of an advantage. So I really uh, enjoy watching him. I think he's got a, a lot of room to go here and he could be a, a fairly consistent 30 to 35 goal scorer in a league that it's pretty tough to score 40 nowadays. Maybe Kucherov's sure. expanding that a little bit now, but you know, we're <laughs> seeing with the slashing calls that are being made. That's why goal scoring's up this year. Guys that wouldn't have got chances before are are getting them now, where they would have been hacked three or four times. And players, you can see where you're right near a player in the high slot, where normally a stick would have come right across your gloves. Not happening now. And guys are getting more shots away. And I think that's going to benefit Mantha. Yeah, no, I, I agree. I think uh, I think I saw the other day Kucherov is on pace for some ridiculous number, like seventy something. Um, but yeah, so I just want to ask you one, one last question to close this out. Um, I think we'd end on 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 a high note. Obviously, we've had a lot of you know good stories and and good memories. But um, one of the chapters in your book, you, you know, you have a whole chapter about the uh, the O one O two Red Wings, which is you know one of the greatest teams ever assembled. Um, so so I guess two things, like like one, like what's your favorite? What's your favorite memory of that team? Because obviously there's, you know, there's so many personalities and, and just like the ridiculous skill level in that locker room. Um, and then also, since now we have the salary cap, it seems likely that we'll never see a team like that again. So, you know, do you think that's a good thing? Do you, do you wish that, you know, we could get, you know, another 0-1-0-2 Detroit level team, you know, because of how fun it is to watch? What do you think? Well, I do. I do wish uh... – we didn't have the cap and you could spend because we're one of those spending teams. If you're elsewhere and you're in Nashville, maybe you're not hoping for that, but there is parity in the league. I think you look at the, the standings today and you've got, I, I don't know, it might be 20 teams. I haven't checked today, but certainly two thirds of the national hockey league is between that window of 16 and sure. 22 points, right where the Red Wings are. You have your elite this year, your, your Tampa, your St. Louis, LA's fallen off a little bit. And then you have your Drake to the league at the bottom with Arizona and Buffalo, et cetera. But you've got so many teams now in the middle, and that's what the league wants, and everybody's interested. I don't know if uh, the way the Devils are going now, if they could be this way um, without a cap world. There are many teams, I guess, you could talk like that. But to your point, the 01-02 team was just fabulous to be around, and I guess my memories that stand out first and foremost is sitting on Redbird for the first time we traveled. And, yes, I was uh, – used to being, you know, and seeing Sergei Fedorov and how great he was yeah. and Eisenman and Lidstrom and Shanahan and Larionov. But then that first year, and you didn't know what you'd get out of uh, Pavel Datsuk, who, uh, you know, got on that plane. And then you see everyone that follows from Brett Hull and Robitaille <laughs> and Hoshik and, you know, just adding to that roster, you go, you, you'll never see this again. And they got on and just your eyes are open. Well, this is going to be a pretty fun year. And then you fast forward to the playoffs and we're, we're down – uh, 0-2 to Vancouver at home, heading back to Vancouver, and I get on Redbird and Ken Holland and Scotty Bowman are already seated, and I walk on with Steve Eisenman, and Stevie turns and looks at Scotty, Scotty and, and Ken Holland, and says, "We're not losing this series." And he walked to the back of the plane. That made me feel a whole lot better. And then we land in Vancouver, and late early morning hours, and there's two or three cars at the probably late teens. And they've got the Canucks flags out their window. And the whole way back from the airport, they're following the Red Wing bus and driving up alongside it. And they're saying, Red Wings suck. Red Wings suck. As loud as they could, and the <laughs> bus was dead quiet. And Ken Holland turned around to me and he said, that's a good thing. And I said, you got that right. <laughs> and then they won four straight. And the other, funny, and, and the other story is, you know, and, and people ask me about 
Mr. I and how great he was. And I probably met Mr. I six or seven times through the years and was always wonderful to me. We miss him so much, but he let us do our job. The Illich family never interfered with what we do, never said anything except for one time. And we were down 0-2 to Vancouver. And as I mentioned, you know, we, that, that, that night when we arrived in Vancouver and the next day we're, we're leaving the morning skate in Vancouver. And again, you know, I, I sit right behind Ken Holland uh, on the bus with Mickey. And Kenny turns around to me and he says, uh, so you guys think that Naslin, Morrison, and Bertuzzi are doing pretty well, huh? And we said, <laughs> well, yeah, the first two games they've done pretty well. And he said, yeah, Mr. I thinks you do too. So <laughs> with that thought in mind, we both knew. And that was the only time that we ever heard Mr. Illich say anything. And you're down 0-2 in that series and you've got a great team. I understand where he's coming from. We were probably pumping the tires of uh, Bert, who's a great friend of mine now. And, uh, you know, and uh, Bertuzzi, uh, Morris, and, and uh, Maslin just a, a little bit too much. So we backed off. And the fact that the Red Wings won the next four, we could back off. It really didn't matter. So uh, wonderful <laughs> ownership through the years. And those are my uh, probably the fondest memories and uh, may, maybe the funniest from that 0-1-0-2 season. Yeah, and so um, so for our listeners out there, um, you know, pick up uh, pick up Ken Ken's book if these walls could talk. Um, like I said, I read it; it's it's fantastic. There's a lot of great stories, um, um, you know, like the ones you heard today. You know, so go out and uh, and and pick that up. Um, and Ken, thank you so much for spending some time with us. We really appreciate you taking your time out of your day to talk to us. Thanks, guys. My pleasure. And Red Wing fans are the best, and uh, you guys are a, a big part of that in what you do and uh, keeping the brand there. And uh, we love it. So thank you. That's right. That, that's it, folks. We've got it. we got the Ken Daniels certification. We are legitimate. We did it. There you go. <laughs> there you go. Just when there's stuff you don't like, just just be easy, okay? Just be easy. That's all I can say. Good call. Good call. That was a, uh, that was a good interview with Ken. I, I really think that uh, I liked a lot of the personality he showed. I think the uh, the prep work that he puts into it um, – and the the friendship with Mickey it, it really does show in the air because I mean we we you know when as a fan when you're watching whether or not the the guys know what they're talking about we don't always agree with Ken and Mick um, but knowing that they that they cared so deeply about the game um, that's a huge difference for me so that that was really good plus he like he came up with that jackoff joke um, <laughs> before I could even do it that was that was amazing. So I'm I'm really happy with that, but I, I wanted to kind of use this as a as a discussion about uh, Fox Sports in general, and and kind of like the the who watches the Watchmen of, you know, this is how we as the fans get to see the team, and uh, I wanted to use this this opportunity to to kind of play into that since we also have a, a, somebody who is an expert on the the inner workings of Fox Sports Detroit with us. Uh, to kind of play into that as well. So uh, in, in case you're not sure about that, Jay is, is our inside man. So, Yes, exactly. it's me, yes. Rocky Rococo. I am here to tell you all of the secrets of Rocky Rococo. You have to listen very carefully because I don't repeat myself. <laughs> so it was, about it was ten I mean. people are going to get that joke. <laughs> he, uh, he, he, meant, he specifically, like, he call, he called out the the Colorado feed, and that that's one of the in terms of like going over the top homerish. And I really liked the the part where he he talked about, you know, obviously they they work for the team, and and Fox Sports Detroit is a partner of the Red Wings. So 
you are not going to get super critical negative things. I mean, because it's not only their job to pump up the team. I mean, it's not their job to uh, to be raw rock cheerleaders. And I think Fox Sports Detroit does a, a pretty good job of that. They do criticize when necessary. I, I think that uh, you know maybe they they have their favorites that 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 like I said we don't always agree with the con- the concept of. You know, a guy uh, pumping up the team, the the Steve Ott effect, uh, is still something I, I never agree with. But it's at least it's it's based in sensibility. Um, their job is to to entertain and inform and and to be partners with the Red Wings. So um, the the concept of like you obviously are not going to see I, I, them go after them. Um, yeah. But they. You can tell in the games when the Red Wings are being are bad. Ken and Mick don't pull punches there. They're just not up there going, ah, you know, is this, if Ken Holland had never put this guy in the lineup, this this wouldn't be the problem. Because how how stupid would that be? Yeah, exactly. So. I mean, it's like when we come back from the break, I bought Ken Holland a plane ticket. Is he going to use it? You know, I mean, like, like that's never going to happen. <laughs> um, I, I actually had an experience with this. Uh, kind of, I learned this lesson. Uh, when I was younger, in I want to say maybe the mid mid two thousands, I think, um, on Fox Sports New York, uh, the Islanders announcers was first first it was Joe Micheletti and Billy Jaffe, and then Micheletti went on to the Rangers, and they brought Howie Rosen. But um, Billy Jaffe left, in you know during one off season, and of course this is you know the type of thing you never know for sure, but. It seemed pretty clear from a lot of the rumblings that the reason that he left was because he was too critical of the team and the ownership and the management on the air. You know, so like you said before, I mean, I think, you know, we do have different kind of just like we have different branches of government. You know, we have different branches of media, you know, and and people like, you know, the beat writers, I mean, they have, you know, they have access and they have to worry on some level about keeping that access, you know, but their job is to, you know, also to be, you know, be analytical. And if the team is doing something that isn't working well, you know, it's their job to to do that. And, like, I think we've seen that a lot now in the Detroit area with the advent of the athletic, you know, where, you know, it seems like they're they're more willing to be critical of the team than other other ones are. But, you know, somebody like, uh, you know, if you're working for – you know, as the announcers, I mean, you're you're paid by the team, you're employed by the team, and it's it's not surprising. I mean, that's, you know, that's their job, you know. Yeah, the funny thing is, you mentioned Billy Jaffe uh, as as maybe have gotten gotten the boot for being too critical, and now he's one of the guys that that sticks out because he works for Nesson now, um, mm. alongside uh, Jack Edwards, and it's it's hilarious to me because Jack Edwards is is uh, a kind of a polarizing figure in the hockey fan community. Uh, I I personally love him. I know he's a homer. Um, I do recognize that sometimes he goes a little bit overboard. Um, and has has crossed lines that 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 shouldn't be crossed. Like he he made the the plane crash joke, um, and he he got called out for it. And he he apologized for it. And I'm I'm not I'm not saying that you have to love Jack Edwards if you don't love him. Great, but honestly, I think Billy Jaffe is the the real like homerism problem on Nesson. Like he is super duper pro Bruins, and every time they do like the the Bruins goon stuff, like. It's you know they, it's just all great and you know screw you for not liking it huh. and I think wow. that goes 
that goes the other way. So that that's kind of hilarious to me. Because like I said, I, I do love the Homer announcers, and I would prefer to listen to a Homer announcer that pisses me off, that doesn't like my team, um, over uh, a, a Kenny Albert, who... Yeah. I like he he's technically good, but you can tell like Kenny Albert's heart isn't in hockey, because um, that's the other thing with Jack Edwards is Jack Edwards also has a book of preparation. Like he is a huge hockey nerd, and he he knows all that stuff and he loves all that stuff. So um, yeah, you bounce around. But in terms of uh, not necessarily just the announcing crew, but in in terms of what Fox Sports Detroit does and does well and doesn't do well. Um, I wanted to, to bring up, I I think that they've done a better job, and I don't know, uh, Jay, this is probably a question for you in terms of the camera set up at the LCA because they're not, they don't have that low corner camera angle anymore that I absolutely loathed. Uh, and it wasn't that, I, did, I didn't actually hate that one camera angle. I hate how Fox Sports used it. Um, they would hang on it for too long, and it would, it would miss passes in the coverage because it was great for replays that showed power play goals getting set up, uh, especially when the when the puck came to the slot. But with the Red Wings cycling it down on the corner, it would be they'd be placing like right directly under the camera. And it's like I can't tell, or if the the camera had to pan at all. It was it just couldn't do it fast enough to keep up with the action. So that's gone. And is that is do you know Jay? Is that ever coming back? Is is what's the plan there? Uh, I'm I'm unsure if that's a camera position we're going to get back. Uh, what I will say is I don't think it's so much of a camera problem as it is a uh, as it is a hockey problem because I think that we are still kind of in this gray area between the technology kind of catching up to the times. Um, I would be uh, I would be I I'm with you there. Like I I do like that angle, but I think. You know, if there was a way to somehow, I don't know, like it's it's the the camera was just far too reactionary in, instead of following the play happen, and I think that's, you know, and I don't I don't think that's an operator problem. I don't think that's a, that's a director problem. I think the way that like I would be very interested to see if that camera angle worked, like in the fifties or sixties, right when the game was nowhere near the lightning speed as it is right now. So uh, I, I think there, I think there's obviously some improvements that could be made to that angle. Um, I mean, there there are various camera positions that are always being proposed, and other times it's either, you know, it could be the building isn't able to produce it, or you know, it's either just could just not be in the budget. Stuff like that happens. But there, uh, there is a. Um, I don't know if anybody's seen it too much yet, but uh, they're in the lower bowl area, and it's I think a little kitty corner to where the Zamboni comes out. There is a um, a, a lower uh, open space uh, spot that uh, that doesn't have a bunch of seats. There's like a couple of seats that are just kind of fold ups that are on the glass, and you know people have been asking, you know, hey, what would a camera angle from there look like? So I, I think for the most part, there's a lot of forward thinking in how to actually bring the game to us. You know, more accurately, more more stylistically, more engaging. Like, but um, you know, I think I think for the most part that that camera angle was just like, hey, we put it here, let's try and make it work. And what stinks is, you know, like you said, sometimes just the very nature of hockey takes it takes the play away from the camera itself. And so it's at that point you just kind of be like, hey, just just do, just do what you can. So 
Um, I, I leading up to the the open of this building, I, I heard that they had gotten together a couple of like rec league teams to just play the game and then just you know set the cameras up and see how stuff would turn out. So I'm curious as to whether or not we'll have any more scenarios like that to see if there's like any other thing we're missing. I'm I'm a big fan of the real cam. I would love to see that the new arena. Um, I know it's been used in Vancouver and in Toronto a couple times. Um, as as Pete and I have played NHL 18 and 17 and all the other iterations uh, far too much, um, you know, we kind of get used to a certain way we digest the game. And I've, I've like, and, and my dad shares this opinion too, like the high, high corners for hockey are, it's it's not it's very cl- it's very close to being the perfect view in hockey because you can see everything develop just fine. Uh, you know you're you're not you're not squared off to you're not stuck in a broadcast angle. You're basically able to see the entire play as it develops. So um, I, yeah, I I think in terms of cameras, I'm actually all f- I'm more for cameras because then maybe you know we could have caught Pittsburgh having six people on the ice in 2009. <laughs> but that's none of my business. I um actually while you're talking it was it was interesting that you brought up um uh you know video games because first of all you know in our our uh our never ending quest to get EA Sports to sponsor our podcast uh we we do have to mention NHL 18 every single time and so so <laughs> we we can check that box off but um one thing that I I really upset at myself for forgetting to ask uh Ken during our interview is in his book he he uh, he points out a piece of trivia that I was unaware of, and I thought this was pretty interesting. That he was the original voice of sports video games because he was the voice of the VCR game Hockey Night in Canada um, in 1989. And uh, so maybe if we get round two with Ken, we can ask him about that, or maybe I'll just call him up and call him up <laughs> yeah. and ask him. I'm, I'm sure that would be completely fine and not at all inappropriate. Totally, uh, totally fine in the scheme of professionalism. Everything. We're all I'll just shoot now. It's fine. I'll just shoot him a text. It'll be cool. Um, no, but um, I I definitely have a, a Fox Sports Detroit camera comments, and unlike last year, it is actually a positive one because last year, as somebody who recaps. I don't know, maybe 10% of the games maybe, maybe even more than that. It was infuriating to me every time they would go to the picture-in-picture picture and you wouldn't be able to see the score, you wouldn't be able to see the time, and it was so hard. And, I mean, I had... You know, I now like I had a 55-inch TV, and I could not tell who the players were, and I'm trying to figure it out. And I will say that this year they fixed it. This year they fixed it because they've made the second picture smaller. The like the non-game picture is smaller, and they also figured out or not figured out, but they also chose to put a banner over the top that has the score, the time, and all that stuff. And so, um, Jay, if you get a chance to talk to whoever made that decision. Please uh, give them a uh, a full Jeff Hancock uh, thumbs up for me. Well, surprise, kids! I'm the reason. <laughs> Wait, really? No, no. I just wanted oh, to take. I, I just wanted to take credit for it because you know I follow all all of your complaints and I and I watch over everyone. So there you go. <laughs> yeah, I will um, say that the uh, the behind the net angle that uh, that's been used. It just feels like because it, it's. Obviously, somebody has to decide, you know, when to when to cut to that angle and when to cut away from it and how to use it. I think they've done a better job of, of that, too. Like, they use it more on the power play, and 
have gotten a little bit better about when to know to cut off of that, but it's it's like it look it just looks better than it did at the Joe too. So I don't know if there's any technological differences or if they just like picked up the camera from one area and moved it over to the other. But I, I do like that. Well, as you know, the Joe was built before the wheel, so <laughs> right. Uh, in terms of retrofitting it to fit, um, you know, some of the more recent technological advancements. I mean, I. I like I, I was trying to figure out how they were able to install the line cameras into the Joe, just because I felt like there was just like in terms of infrastructure, you know, I, I didn't know how many areas or how many other holes they could drill in that place before it collapsed under its own girth of trying to be updated and updated and updated. So, you know, but I, I think I think under the circumstances they did a pretty good job. I mean, at the same time, there's 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 obviously different conditions under which it's going to work. So. You know, I, I I won't I won't say that, you know, it's directly because of you guys, but you know, we we, we listen to people, we 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 put our ears to the ground, and and you know, the, at the end of the day, it's there's we're not the we're not the evil league of evil, right? We're not trying to find other ways to not show you the game, right? So you know, <laughs> in in terms of being able to bring the game in its truest fashion and and, and most uh, digestible way you know like that's that's what we strive for and i think that there's i think there's a lot to be said for for our crew and stuff to be able to think of new ways to 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 bring out uh different angles from you know from the sports that we like i mean right now you know we've got basketball and hockey and then you know we're always trying new stuff for for uh baseball and uh you know it, it kind of stinks because we can't really do too much with the NFL because the, it's a draconian organization and and everybody's hands are tied. This isn't just us; everybody's hands are tied with them. So, yeah. you know, in, in the places that we're able to actually, you know, kind of roll up our sleeves a little bit, you know, I, you know, for the most part, I think it's been able to always evolve to the next step. And and I, again, I know this building has been you know uh, expounded upon and 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 lauded and stuff and. And really, it it, it it almost I'm trying to figure out when it could get tired because they really did think of a lot of things to 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 make the angles better, to have better camera placement, and and not only that, I think this is the, one of the first buildings that it was actually built with um, what's the word? Oh yeah, foresight, <laughs> knowing yeah. that things can yeah. change and and being able to evolve with how stuff. Because for all we know, like they're gonna put. You know, one of those like 3D VR cameras right underneath the jumbotron, always shooting down at the game, so you can just follow the game with your head, or or put it in the corners. You know, the 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 medium is changing and and bringing the game to the fan. You know, it's not about bringing the fan to the game; it's about bringing the game to the fan. You know, this it's 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 the it's the never-ending struggle. It's and 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 we and we want to be able to bring as much information to the game as we were talking about with Kenny. You know, that in terms of preparation, it's you know, there's like these are these are guys that show up six hours before the game, right? So you know, there's there's a lot that goes into this stuff, and 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 it is it ranges from something as simple as hey, where is this camera going to go to? Hey, you know, when that goal is scored, what's the best replay? What's the best angle to to show it from? What are we starting with? So there's it's 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 a it's a delightful circus we run here. <laughs> Yeah, I think that uh, like in general they do, they do a good job. Like there's still like there's only like one real pet peeve that I still have that that's still happening, and it happened in the Buffalo game where there is uh, it was actually a power play going on, 
and Ken was talking about Jack Eichel, and they decided to sh- like shoot, like cut to jo- to Jack Eichel just getting off the ice while there was play going on. I'm like, I don't want to look at this guy's face. I hate this guy's face. Please, please show me the hockey. I know, I understand you were talking about Jack Eichel, and, and from a narrative standpoint, it helps. Like here, this is what this guy that they're talking about looks like. Uh, that's just, that's one of those things that maybe they could have pictured and pictured him. So whoever you need to to flog to to not to not put Jack Eichel's face on my television screen like that ever yeah. again. Well, I was actually working on a proposal to their. Um, we no longer show opposing players when we start talking about opposing players. A little like voodoo doll recreation pops up on the lower right of the screen with like a poorly constructed macaroni face. Like, yeah, this is Jack uh, Eichel. That. This this is who we're talking about. And then, you know, when we're talking about Yager, all you have to do is add a bunch of hair in the back. So. We're, we're, his, his player picture and like Sharpie on a an evil mustache. And, oh yeah, or the classic scar, the eye patch. Yeah, I, yeah. This, see this if if we ran the world, if we ran the world. <laughs> so how are the like? How's the crew liking the like not having the intermission show studio on top of a pizza place in the concourse? <laughs> um, where uh, where some people can line up and do chants, possibly, yeah. <laughs> perhaps. Yeah, yeah, you never know if it was, like, someone's birthday or anything. Yeah, some some weirdos. <laughs> yeah. Um, uh, again, I, I'd like to think that, uh, uh, for the most part, everybody is is really pleased. I think there's just, like, little pet peeve things right now. Like, my pet peeve is that, like, where, this, where the press gondola is, it's shockingly, the, like, as far as you could be from the set. So like if you need to be at the at our, our little desk overlooking the 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 rink, um, you gotta think you gotta like this is like budgeting time when you're in LA. You gotta put like at least a half hour in your driving schedule just to make sure you get there on time. So, you know, they're they're we're still learning some traffic patterns, but like again, it's a it's a top flight facility and we're all really pleased with it. We're able to do a lot of really creative things. Um and, and for the most part we're it, it we're kind of able to do it um in 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 such a way that is both testing but also giving you kind of a, a, a you know a, a behind the scenes look at stuff because um, again we we are the conduit we are the we are the mouthpiece for the for the team on on game nights and we're we're here to be uh you know we're here to be friends we're also here to to, to hold each other accountable and in, in in professional ways and stuff so um yeah i i mean they're there are M and M's in in the press box now, so literally they've thought of everything. Or are they only green ones? <laughs> no, 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 no. They're they're all uh, they're mixed. Uh, though I will say though, they also have Skittles, and they are curiously located next to each other. So an entire psychopathic <laughs> monster could do something really mean <laughs> and make a mixture <laughs> and just leave it out for somebody to to, to dip their hands in. So. Hopefully that Jay, is this a con- is this a confession, Jay? No, no. Why would that ever? Why would anyone ever Freudian slip ever? Never. <laughs> so, um, so, 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 Jay, you know, working in the capacity you do uh, in the arena, you know, what's what do you think is like the most? I don't even know how to say this. It. Like, either the most interesting or the most surprising thing that happens behind the scenes that like the general fan watching the game on television would just have no idea you know, would be something that either they'd have to think about or, you know, something that could possibly happen? Um, I, I think this has been touched on a little bit 
because um, I think I think famously uh, Jeremy Roenick was stuck in an elevator when when Chicago won in, in Philadelphia. So <laughs> like it, 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 it's kind of along those terms where um, like our like when Mickey like when the game's done like I, I don't know if you guys know this but underneath that suit Mickey Redmond is cut like Bruce Lee. Uh, hmm. He the the man is 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 just he he's just healthy he's a healthy dude and he does a bunch of walking around and he's just out and about and you know mo, you know when you watch those games right you know we're talking about the transition between when the game is done and Mick is up in the gondolas and then not even five minutes later he's down on the bench and he's. Uh, doing his kind of post game talk back with with our guys in the studio or at the desk, so there's there's a lot to be said for um, like how the how the how the madness actually comes comes to fruition, um, and, and and I think the other thing is um, there's there's a lot of I would I would love to record one day the uh, the studio chatter if only to prep people for wanting to go into um, this type of, uh, profession because, uh, tuning things out, knowing what to listen for being like, that's, that's a very good skill to have in any profession. And I think, I think the sports broadcast does a phenomenal job of preparing you to, you know, there's, there's, there's crosstalk, there's crossfire, there's, there's a ridiculous amount of stuff that goes on. Um, I think the most surprising thing is they have not put up a stronger barrier <laughs> around the organ player. I am scared <laughs> to death for yeah. him some nights. Because, listen, at the end of the day, we're all on a social contract, right? There's a, a couple of stanchions with a red line. That's usually society saying, hey, maybe don't go there. But uh, yeah. the, the games are, you know, with kids now and with, you know, partially inebriated folks. So sometimes that barrier isn't so much a, hey, don't go there. It's maybe a, we dare you to go past us. <laughs> it's the big red button. <laughs> What's this? An incompletely yeah. exposed guy with a camera on him? Oh, man, well, looks like I got to rep my my AHL Ice Dogs jersey. Yeah, let's do this. It's ah, like, come on, man. Pro- protect the Oregon player. He's a treasure now. <laughs> Please. I think, I, I, I think if I had to pitch a Fox Sports Detroit segment, um, you know, like, you know, say, for example, there was a, a delay, you know, like, let's say, for example, uh, a, 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 another team's ice is not working because of equipment malfunction. I think there should be a fun segment where all the other Fox Sports Detroit personalities um, do their best uh, John Keating transition. Oh, their best John ooh, Keating intro. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, well, I mean, yeah. now now that I'm here, I might as well, like, a John Keating impression is something I've had the pleasure of trying to perfect for years, years. Yeah. And um, I, I think for the most part, I've got, I've got it down. Okay, now, granted, I think everybody saw this recently. Dave Couillet actually probably trumped me on this because Couillet <laughs> was, I mean, but that's, that's Couillet. Kuye is gonna Kuye, right? So, uh, I, I but for the most part, my my favorite uh, Keating stuff is 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 his puns, and the one I came up with years ago where it's like the Red Wings are a little like Britney Spears on the power play. Oops, I did it again. <laughs> Scoring has been a bugaboo for these teams, but uh, recently there's been a a surge in 
playing on the power play. We now go down to Jeff Blaschel with our Trevor Thompson, and then and then you go from there. So I think that's okay. But yeah. but we'll we'll again the good artist mm. continues to hone his craft and 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 go forward. On the top of my Netflix queue is Stranger Things. The Red Wings saw some Stranger Things last game, too, as a line brawl erupted. Okay. Yeah. All right. So before we get in too much trouble, uh, and, 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 and I will say I, I do have a um, – I don't even want to call it a love-hate relationship because it's not that I hate it, but I do have maybe like a love-cringe relationship with uh, John Keating's transitions. And, and now my favorite thing is much in the vein of the – uh, the Ron McLean hostage video clips that you see on Twitter every every time they have a coach's, coach's corner um, is the reaction of whoever's sitting next to him when he because it was wasn't it like a, like a few games ago he made one that really sounded like it was like a lewd comment about like Osgood's wife or something like that like like it wasn't what he intended but it was just like the unintended implication. Uh, and I, I, it might not even been Oscar. It might have been Darren Elliott. It was, and like, like I said, he didn't mean it. It wasn't like he was trying to do something. Right. Yeah. You well, know. again, right. I think I think Keats and much like any on-air personality knows when you perform, when you're out there, hey, some, sometimes you eat the banana and sometimes the banana eats you. So, you know, I, I think for the most part, he's, you know, the, as is as he can be affectionately called the the large. Uh, the large tuna knows what he's doing, so to, to, to riff on the head helms <laughs> to, to, to Jim in the office. Large tuna, big tuna. But, yeah, Keats, Keats, Keats does his homework, and, uh, and he brings it every night. So that's the man. All right, and, and, oh yeah, and, and so, so in keeping with the, uh, the classic Wim, Wim radio tradition, we are going to talk a little bit about the Red Wings for the last, uh, the last couple games Unfortunately, I, I I saw part of the Calgary game. I I didn't get to see the uh, the the fun part, <laughs> the the interesting part at the end. Although I did go back and I watched it on NHL TV. Um, but last night I was unable to uh, unable to watch the game. Um, so so Jay, what are, what have been your thoughts of the Red Wing Red Wings play of late over the last couple of games? <laughs> don't get high on your highs. Don't get too low on your lows. That's that's been my opinion so far. I think uh, – let me tell you the thing that I'm actually most impressed about, and, I, and, and again, I, I, I'm surprised that uh, it's not being talked about a little bit more, and I know I'm maybe building this up bigger than it, I think it actually is, but the last two games, Calgary and Buffalo, if people are obviously remembering, uh, we lost one nothing to Buffalo. And then we got undressed in Calgary. And the immediate rematches against those teams, we were able to counterpunch. Uh, my, I know it's, I know it's not the biggest thing to keep track of, <laughs> right, uh, in in the scheme of things. But um, I like that I can see that in in this team now. That like they have a little bit of the Darren McCarty hockey players of long memories type thing because you know I think they played really really well uh against Calgary Cal it was almost like you know kind of a uh, a responding in kind because Calgary is like hey we're gonna put eight on you and then or we're gonna put like seven or something on you and then we were like okay well we'll do the same when you come visit so see you then and then like we lose one nothing to Buffalo and then we're like oh okay so um uh yeah just uh just come over to my place and then we'll we'll, we'll get you back no big deal so 
Uh, I've been in, I just have been impressed as of late. They're uh, they're learn they're learning to fly. I mean, they're, we all know their their troubles, right? You know, it's not like we have to rehash it every single time. But I've I've been impressed with again with Larkin with Mantha, folks. I happen to see you being back. <laughs> uh, like I I'm a need. I'm gonna need more Athena to see you. It's it's just been it's just been a joy. And I think there was another. It was like during the Calgary game where he scored and he looked mad. And I was like, okay, we're mad at scoring goals now. Like, yeah, like oh screw you, goal thinking you can't get scored by me. Screw you, I'm gonna score. <laughs> so yeah, I'm I'm liking what I'm seeing. And if it and if it hangs up like this, I mean, let's we forget, gentlemen. Um, I looked at the standings, and uh, <laughs> my vision's not too good. Is that Bill Shakespeare over there? A.K.A. Detroit is third <laughs> in the Atlantic. So hmm. they say usually it's around this time of year. If you're like bubble or or in there, your odds are good for being in in the postseason. So you know, I'm 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 more than happy to to buy into that uh, mentality right now. Um, especially because I should actually learn about the standings more because after the win last night, I actually looked and I was like, all right, hello, wild card. And I looked and it said New York and Ottawa. I'm like, but Detroit's nowhere. Did we get eliminated because we have more points now? How does this work? Oh, that's right. <laughs> Divisions. So, yeah. yeah. It's interesting. Like, while you were talking, I, I took a look at um, uh, Michael Blake McCurdy, who's the person who runs HockeyViz.com. He does a lot of the, the really great hockey visuals. And he has a, a model that predicts playoff chances. And I remember earlier in the season, even though Detroit was doing well, you know, their their playoff chances were down in like the five five percent or something, you know, just because of you know, like you said, divisions, you know, strength of schedule, you know, things like that. And right now he has them and, and it's again it's not him, it's his model. He has them at, at about forty five percent which I know probably sounds low based on where they are in the standings, but, you know, you have to remember things like, you know, the rest of the season, upcoming games, you know, the chance for regression, et cetera. Um, but, yeah, I mean, like, the, the Red Wings are definitely a lot closer to a playoff berth than a lot of people, and I'll be honest, me, I, I, I didn't think they had any chance of making the playoffs this year. And I, I, I still think – I don't want to say I'd bet against it because that sounds like a horrible fan, but, you know, if I was an impartial observer and I had to bet on it – I, I I would still bet on them missing the playoffs, although I'm starting to really come close to changing my mind based on what they've done, if they're able to keep it up, and if they can continue to get the solid goaltending that they're getting, because I, I think that's a really big part of it, too. Um, Absolutely agree. So, like I said, I, yeah, like I said, I haven't been able to watch as much as I'd like. Um, so, JJ, what have what have been your thoughts to the last couple games for the Red Wings? Um, I was really impressed with the way they... Uh, took advantage of a Calgary squad on Wednesday that just was not ready to play. I mean, I, the, the Wings got some good, some good bounces too, and and I don't want to say this was all like Calgary screwing up, but um, but they played to their, they really played to their strengths in that game. Um, they used their speed to uh, allow themselves more aggression. Um, they really challenged Calgary uh, back checking. Their defensemen, and this is something they've been doing more of this season that I've, I've really been happy with, is instead of the defensemen forcing the pass up, the forwards are doing a much better job of not flying the zone too early. And what the D-men are doing instead is they're making an extra move to make space for themselves. That's not always going to work out. And hmm. when it doesn't work out, it's, it's going to get guys absolutely screamed at by the fans. Um 
but you'll even see, you know, even Jonathan Erickson has been, he's not eating the puck, but he'll do a little spin around and get away from a guy. And it terrifies me in, in parts of my body that I talked only to my doctor about, um, <laughs> to see him behind his own net spin, trying to spin away from a four checker, but he does it. He's doing it well. Um, basically, it's something that only Mike Green was doing consistently last year, and now, now even Erickson and, and uh, you know you see Cronwell even escape a guy every once in a while, and that's that's amazing to me. Jensen was already pretty good at it, um, or they are literally just uh, just eating pucks and, and getting it out there. So that's that's helping the transition game, which I think had been more fractured in the the forward flyaway kind of stuff they were doing all of last season. Um, they're getting up ice and back ice um, in in more cohesive five man units and that's that's really showed. What I was what I was proud of seeing is after the eight two win, which in, in all honesty that was basically a six two win and then five minutes of circus. Um, yeah. after a team uh yeah lays the beat down on another team like that, you really want to look out for the next game and, and how they do. And the Buffalo game was honestly, it was the two, the first two periods were, were not terribly exciting, but they were not terribly exciting in a good way. The Red Wings dominated Buffalo in the second period and Robin Leonard uh, stood on his head. Like it, it was a close game, and I guess it, it deserved to be a close game, but the Red Wings deserved to win that game. They basically deserved to win it three to one, maybe even maybe even four to one. And you could tell like after the I think the the second Gustav Mike was breakaway that, that didn't work out, like this had the potential of being a real quick turnaround from we just got on the high of everything we did we did right against Calgary and, and it all went into the net because of of the way things worked out to oh my god now nothing's working and now we're going to struggle for the next five games with timing because that's just the way these things seem to go. Uh, I think Dylan Larkin said it in the, the post game after the Buffalo game that was essentially um, things weren't going right for us and it was a, it was an opportunity for us to kind of get frustrated with that and I don't think we did. I think we, we stuck with our game and, and we ended up going pretty well. So, Because um, like I I thought that Gustav Nyquist was really good against Buffalo. I thought Andreas Athanasiu uh, was actually decently bad against the Sabres. He he lost the puck uh, trying to dangle at the blue line a few times, and if not for making really good plays himself to to prevent an odd man rush going the other way, that's that's what's going to happen. But he made the plays and it worked out, and it doesn't. And that's what you learn when you're trying to hand the reins over to to the kids. Um, which I was I was glad to hear that that was more confirmed by Ken Daniels as well. Um, that sometimes they're gonna keep, they're gonna keep playing like that. And I want Athanasiu to keep trying like that, um, even in games when it's not working out, because it's going to work out. And then to see essentially how the third period um, was, it, it was the Luke Glendening and Darren Helm show, and <laughs> that's. Usually, when you say that, it's like, "Oh, well, that sounds." I, I'm so sorry. I'm. I, I, I can't believe that happened to you. I, and you had to. You had to watch that. 
Um, <laughs> they were they were good, it, and it was exactly what what they kind of needed. They the veterans who know what they're doing, who know how to keep playing like that, um, who also utilize their speed because I think. I think Darren Helm has lost a step, but I, it's not like he's not fast. He's still really fast, and they kind of adjusted to that and and turned away Buffalo uh, maturely. So I'm mm. I, I I did think that Detroit was was easily going to be on the bubble, and I I, I don't know how long this will last because it's uh, consistency is always going to be the bugaboo for for the middling teams like Detroit is, and I. And if if they fall off grade, if if they end up – the worst thing that, that could happen is they sneak into the playoffs and they get eliminated in the first round, and the kids don't end up learning anything from it. And that last part is at least something that I'm not as worried about. Seeing the way that, that Mantha and Larkin and, and Athanasiu and, and even Nick Jensen are, are coming along and playing for the team um, – I, I no longer think that the the worst case in terms of, of making the playoffs and el- being eliminated in the first round is even that uh, is is even that awful. Like I, I don't want it. I don't want that to happen. But um, the the hope springs eternal, and, and those guys are giving me reason for it. Sure. Yeah, I think. Um... One of the things, you know, because the, the two of you definitely touched on a lot of the things that, that I would say if you asked me about the Red Wings play of late. One of the things that I really liked is in in the little bit of the, I think, the last night's game that I was able to see, you know, I turn on the TV and Detroit's killing a penalty and they have Glenn Denning out there, which is not surprising, but they have Dylan Larkin. You know, I think having uh, Larkin and Athanasiu and Helm out there on the penalty kill, I think that's a really... You know, it, it, it's a really positive sign, and I think that, you know, you see around the league, like, I, you know, I said last time on the episode of For Sure that we had, you know, the, the night before I had gone to see the Devils play Edmonton, and, you know, you have Connor McDavid out there on the penalty kill. I, I think Dreisaitl, too, but I can't remember for sure. Definitely Connor McDavid. You know, and so you're starting to see, you know, these skilled players, especially the really fast-skilled players on the other teams, are out there on the penalty kill. You know, for a long time, it kind of seemed like the conventional wisdom. You know, you, you don't put them out there because, you know, the penalty kill is all about blocking shots, and it's going to, you know, you know there's a chance for them to get hurt, which, I mean, does kind of make sense on, you know, for a second, but... You know, the modern penalty kill is not as much about blocking shots as it is about putting pressure on your opponents, taking away lanes, you know, forcing them into bad positions. And when you have Athanasiu, you have Larkin, and you have Helm, I mean, obviously the, the, the first two more than, than Helm, I mean, if they get a half a step, they're gone, especially because... You know, you have a defenseman trying to keep, you know, trying to keep the blue line, trying to keep the puck in the zone. You know, they don't even need a half a step. You know, they need like negative half a step because their speed <laughs> is so good that you know they're just gone before you know what's what's happening. And I do think that even if they don't get those chances, I do think that it kind of it affects the power play because they, you know, they know that they're out there. You know, it's like I mean, I don't watch football too much anymore, but. You know, if uh, if you're a quarterback and you know that the other team has either you know a cornerback or a safety that is known for you know really sneaky 
you know, getting into your into your passing lanes and picking the ball off, and they're really fast. You know, you have to be aware of where that person is, and that gives you another thing to think about when you're trying to you know go on the offense. You know, so if you're on the power play, you know, you're looking to score, and if you have to constantly be worried that if you make a bad pass, it's going to go the other way. Um, you know, that's a you know that, that it's, it's it's definitely not going to help you. I think, and I think the Red Wings have done a really good job so far on that. Um, and additionally, just, just the last thing I wanted to say is that um, it seems like they fixed I, – I don't want to say they fixed their power play, but it seems like a lot of the issues that I saw last year are either better or at least better some of the time. You know, the big thing was, uh, you, know, getting, you know, getting their zone entries, getting the puck around and shooting it quickly. And it seems like they're doing a better job of that. Although, like I said, I haven't been able to see too much of the, the, the last game, so I don't know if that's still continuing. But I know the games I've been able to see in the last couple of weeks, you know, they've been moving the puck pretty quickly and trying to get a shot off as opposed to passing around and passing around and passing around. So, um you know, I'm definitely seeing some positives, and I think that it's good that the the young players are leading the way. You know, like we talked about in the interview with Ken Daniels, that um, you know Larkin is is definitely looking to take you know a, a leadership role, and I think that's really good to see. Um, so I guess before we move on and we close out the show, uh, do either of you have any uh, any last Red Wings thoughts that we haven't gotten to yet? The look of fury on Mantha's face. In the Calgary game, from that one photo, I want that to be the what's what's the what's the photo of the year award? It's not Pulitzer, it's not Peabody. Whatever whatever they hand out to sports photographers, like that's a frozen uh, moment in time. And Instagram. Yeah, yeah, in, yeah. The Insta award, the Insta, <laughs> yeah. the Insties as they call them. So the Insties. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So yeah, that that again, like. What's funny is in that photo and then the way they were talking about it, I don't know if it's the way his hair is cut or just, like, the build of his face, but he's kind of reminding me of, like, he's, it's like a kind of a saw Chuckian face structure he's got, like, with the short hair and, and um, you know, it's just with the helmet off and, like, that look on his face. Like, he just, like, looks like a very workman, skilled hockey player, like, back in the day just dropping the mitts, and I, I like that. Do I want him dropping the mitts all the time? No, absolutely not. I mean, I'm sure that there's a different way to to go about asserting your dominance, i.e., on the score sheet. But <laughs> you know, I think for the most part, they've uh, the that that is a good encapsulation of my good feeling because you know, I think for the most part, Red Wings fans maybe feel a little a little headlocked sometimes, right? But you know, if you get a good if you get a good haymaker in. Game on. Uh, Gigi, what about you? No, I can't top that. That's that's perfect. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So um, since this is a for sure mashup and uh, for sure Wim Radio mashup, um, you know, we're starting with the Wim Radio song. So we're going to close with our classic for sure closing. Uh, so we're going to do the Doc Emmerich verb of the of the episode. But before we get to that, just really quickly, um, you know, follow us on Twitter. Uh, we got I am at P Flynn Hockey. Jay is the uh, at the Roar underscore twenty four. Uh, JJ is just JJ from Kansas. Um, obviously, we have the Winging It in Motown uh, Twitter that you can follow as well. Um, and our for sure uh, podcast Twitter is at two hundred foot pod. That's T two zero zero F T P O D. So Jay, what do we got for our closing Doc Emmerich verb? 
Well, um, it's, it's it's so we we talked to a fellow game caller today. So it's it's I'm really excited to just introduce all these things because this this list that I've been able to compile is just so extensive. So, uh, but I think in light of 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 uh, being uh, a little chippy this week, right? This is the, we we had some fights, we had some some repercussions. So uh, we we really jabbed this one. <laughs> Okay. Uh, moving along the boards, he jabs at a fed to score, and as to Yager, he scores. Jabbing it along, like uh, see, another one is speared, which is also good, <laughs> yeah. but like spearing, just uh, just uh, timely, yeah, <laughs> exactly, yeah. Jabbing speared, so it's a twofer. Mm-hmm. So he spears it along the board to Giroux, Giroux, Tarimsnike scores. <laughs> It's a two for sure. All right, so exactly. There we go. And on that note, thank you so much for listening. For Jay, for JJ, I'm Peter. Have a great day. For sure. 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 For sure, 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 for sure,